0: Welcome to Your Cyber Path, the podcast that helps you get your dream cybersecurity job by sharing the secrets of experienced hiring managers and top cybersecurity professionals with you. Now, on to the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Your Cyber Path. I'm Kip Boyle, and I'm here with Jason Dion. Hey, Jason, how's it going?
1: Hey, Kip. Great to see you again online. Uh, I know recently you were down here in my offices, and we were working together filming a new course, which I'm excited about. Uh, you know what course is that, Kip?
0: <laughs> <laughs> As you well know, that's the NIST Risk Management Framework (RMF), and we you know we consider that to be the uh, the cousin, I guess, of the uh, NIST Cybersecurity Framework course, which we finished and released earlier this year. And I'm excited because we got some really great perspectives from other folks who use RMF. Of course, you've got tons of experience using RMF, but I think the real world. Content that we're putting into this course is going to is going to really set it apart.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you know, the last couple of episodes uh, here on the podcast, we had a couple of guests with us that were talking about RMF. We really dove into that whole concept uh, around RMF and what it's used for in the risk management framework. And we took that as kind of the basis to start with in this course. And then we just dive much much deeper as we go through the course and really try to keep it at this hands on practitioner level um, course that we're doing, just like we did with the NIST Cybersecurity Framework. Where when you're done with this, you know three, four, five hour course, you really understand how to use this framework in the real world. And if you're asked about in an interview, you'll know what to say, right? If you're asked to do it on the job, you'll know how to perform. And, and that's really what we tried to focus on, uh, both with the NIST Cybersecurity Framework course, so if you haven't taken that, definitely take that, uh, and this new RMF course that is now out uh, as of you know last week or so. Uh, and right now, as we're releasing this episode, this is actually releasing on Black Friday, so if you're listening to us today, uh, hopefully you have a day off of work and you're enjoying, uh, I- enjoying stuff out in town, but um, in addition to that, Udemy always has their big Black Friday sales and cyber monday sales so this weekend's a great time to pick up some udemy courses including the nist Cybersecurity framework or the nist rmf course that we have and, and really help hone your skills as you're building yourself up uh into this new world of cybersecurity. especially if you're a somebody who is moving into this field from another field it helps to bring up that information and really start learning the ways
0: yeah definitely and then you've got a lot of of certification oriented courses on, on udemy will you put those on sale too
1: Yeah, so every time uh, we have a a sale on Udemy, uh, we always list those at deontraining.com slash Udemy. Uh, You can get any of our courses there for all of our certifications, uh, whether you're studying for Casp or Pentest Plus or CYSA Plus or Linux Plus or Linux Essentials, any of the stuff we have, you can always go to deontraining.com slash Udemy, and uh, that'll be able to get you the lowest price on them. And when I'm talking about lowest prices, generally around Black Friday, Udemy tends to drop their prices somewhere between you know $10 and $15 per course, which is cheaper than buying a textbook. Uh, And it really gives you a lot of great information to be able to work your way through these certifications And, and, you know, talking about certifications, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about a little bit today. Um, you know, mm-hmm. our, our big focus today and over the next five weeks or the five episodes is going to be the CIA NA or the CIA triad, which has now become the CIA NA triad, which really isn't a triad anymore because there's five pieces, but that's how it works in cybersecurity. And so we're going <laughs> to be focusing on that today uh, in this lesson. We're going to focus on the C in CIA, uh, and that stands for confidentiality. So let's first so do talk we, should about... we tell
0: them what the I, the A, and the NA stand for too, just to set the context, right?
1: Yeah, I, I guess. That's probably a good idea right so uh you know the cia triad is really the fundamental thing inside of cybersecurity. the c is confidentiality the i is integrity and the a is availability and if you had those three things together you had a good secure information system according to 2000 to 2010 standards somewhere around 2010 or so we added the n and the a to cia and the n and the a stand for non-repudiation and authentication and you can understand why that's really important because non repudiation says I actually did the thing I did and I can't say I didn't. So we want to be able to prove that you did what you said you did. And then authentication is really important because that's the way we're able to go and log into a system and say I am Jason or I am Kip. Give me access to Kips files or Jason's files appropriately. And so what we're gonna be doing over the next five episodes is really breaking down the CIA and a inside that CIA triad or this, you know, pen, uh, pentagonal, I guess, uh, triad at this point.
0: There's no five <laughs> yeah. to the triad. Uh, yeah, yeah, a five-pointed triad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that works, but that's what it is. Uh, and so we're really gonna be diving into each of those. And and the format that we're gonna be using for these episodes is we're gonna talk about how it works in the real world, we're gonna talk about how it shows up on certifications and the keywords and things you should be recognizing with that, and then we're gonna finish out each episode by going into you know two or three or four different interview questions that you may get on these topics. Uh, for example, when we talk about confidentiality, that is a really, really important one. That's why we're going to start with the C in CIA. Um, and when we talk about confidentiality. Our definition of that is really being able to be focused on the ability to protect our data from people who shouldn't be able to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when I think about confidentiality, I'm thinking about things like encryption, right? What What, what are some things you think about when you think about uh, confidentiality, Kip?
0: Well, I think about uh, encryption, of course, but then I also think about how data, which we want to encrypt is all over the place, right? Sometimes it's sitting somewhere on a hard disk drive, an SSD, a removable USB thumb drive or something like that. Sometimes it's moving around. We're transferring it from one computer to the next, or we're transferring it from a hard drive to a, to a USB, or, uh, it's going over the internet either as an email attachment, maybe we're doing a, an, an FTP file transfer. Or uh, maybe we've got some kind of a data synchronization, uh, you know, network link uh, established between two sites because one's a hot site and one's our production site. And so data is constantly in motion. And then of course we're using it all the time as well. If If I call up Dion Training and say, help, I think my voucher's expired. You're gonna pull up my record out of your database and you're going to use it to see who's this Kip guy and when did he buy his voucher? Because maybe it's expired.
1: <laughs> yep, exactly. That's a great point, right? And, you know, the other thing I think about when I think about confidentiality is, you know, I like to bring things down to just a really simple, simple, basic level, right? And so we can get out of the whole world of cybersecurity and, and, and confidentiality and computers. And we can talk about it in the real world, too. Just, you know, let's say that, you know, it's Thanksgiving or yesterday was Thanksgiving as of this episode. And, and you know... On Thanksgiving, my wife loves to make her famous mac and cheese. And so she mm. makes this this mac and cheese casserole. and she has a recipe for it that's been handed down from, you know her mother to her and her mother's mother to her mother and and so on, right? So this is like their secret family recipe. So if they have this secret family recipe and they want to make sure nobody else in the world could see it, Well, we have to lock it up and we have to protect it. And that's what confidentiality is. So I could take that index card that has her recipe and I could put it into a safe and I could spin the dial. And as long as nobody else knows the combination to that dial, except my wife, that recipe has good confidentiality because nobody can read it, right? Uh, same right. thing if you look at your house, right? If you put something you know, in your desk drawer in your office, in your home office and you lock that desk drawer, you have the key, well, only you can access it. And so there's confidentiality for that data. And that's what we try to do in the digital world as well. And so- yeah.
0: well, let's, I'm going to add go. one more. I want to okay. add one more real sure. world <laughs> situation, which is, and, and I've got one sitting right over here, right, right next to me, which is when I'm done with a piece of paper that has information I, I don't want anybody to see, I put it in my cross-cut shredder yeah. because, because hmm. when I dispose of it, I don't want to lose confidentiality.
1: Yes, exactly. Right. And that's a great point. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Argo, which was about, you know, 1970s Iranian revolution, and oh, they had yeah. the U S embassy and they're and they're trying to shred all the papers. Right. Well, back then they weren't using cross-cut shredders. They used a simple shredder that Strip. made strips. Right. And so, you know, after they had abandoned the, the embassy, the Iranians went in and they grabbed all that. and They started trying to put together those documents again, basically like a big giant puzzle because they were just strips. And, you know, you might take that paper and make it into 10 strips. Well, that's pretty easy to reconstruct. And yeah. so that's why we started using cross-cut strutters. So now we have these little tiny pieces of paper. And even yep. with those, you can put it back together. Um, there, if, if, you're, if, you, if you're desperate you know, enough. enough. <laughs> right. If, if <laughs> you're desperate enough. But even if you use something like AI, like there was actually yeah. a, a DARPA contest a couple of years ago, uh, Defense Advanced Research Projects, um, laboratory and they had a contest that said hey we have this scan of all these little pieces from a crosscut shredder the first person who can put this back together into a document will get $5,000 or $50,000 yeah. whatever the prize was yeah. and so this team actually built an AI thing that what went either. through and tried to adjust the different edges and where the lines were to reconstruct these papers but even using AI it still took them you know weeks to do.
0: Yeah. Um, they were able to yeah. do it
1: right and it's like you said it depends on how much you want to protect it and how right you know, yeah because how- mm-hmm. if
0: it's a billion dollar secret like, how does the F-22 stealth work? Yep. You're going to do it. Yep. You're going to take the time and you're going to do it.
1: Or, or in those cases, you want to take those shredded things and then you want to burn them, right? Because yeah. if they're burnt, you can't see it anymore Right now it's ash. right? And that, so that's right. this is what we're talking about. We talk about confidentiality is how do you protect this data so nobody else can look at it, right? right. Um, so, so let's talk about how this kind of uh, works in the real world. Uh, let, let's give you a real world example here, right? Somebody is listening to the podcast and they want to get the episode notes for this podcast. What are they going to do? Well, they're going to go over to yourcyberpath.com, right? And uh, when they do that, they're going to get a little green lock next to the URL that shows that our site is encrypted, right? Because we are protecting that data. Now, in this case, we're not protecting the data from prying eyes because you're able to go to our website and read the show notes. They're publicly available for anybody, right? But why we have that encryption in place is that we have encryption from our server to your client to make sure that we have a protected tunnel. And so when you're talking about confidentiality, it's not always the information itself. Sometimes it's where that information is in the flow. So if we have data that we're trying to protect on a hard drive, that's data at rest. We want to encrypt it so only you can read it because you own that hard drive. If we're trying to protect the connection between our website and you, that's data in motion. And that's what we're doing with TLS. If we have something like um, the the memory on the processor, uh, the processor and the memory on the computer is reading it, we want to protect the data when that's happening. That's called data in use or data in process. And so those are kind of the three states of data that we're thinking about as cybersecurity professionals anytime we are trying to work with confidentiality. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's kind of a, a, we've covered a good a bit about how this looks like in the real world. So, you know, I'd like to shift the conversation a little bit into the certification realm, right? Because a lot of times you're going to be asked questions and you have to answer them because you're choosing ABC on an exam, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Kip, I I know you've done a lot of certifications in the past. And um, I I think if you've uh, taken your CISSP or your Security Plus, you've definitely had confidentiality questions, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. In fact, when I took my CISSP examination, it was in 1997 and there was no NA on the (laughs) end of CIA. So I missed that completely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you didn't miss any points because they didn't ask any questions on it, right?
0: <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. But it just you know goes to show things change, right? Things evolve. Oh, yeah. We constantly have to up our game because the cyber criminals, cyber soldiers, they're constantly upping their game. So stuff changes and it's good. It's really, really good that, that we're doing that. But yeah, uh, I had to learn about uh, CIA and I had to be uh, you know tested on it Now, the tests that I took, right, were uh, there will be people listening to this podcast will not believe this, but I used a number two pencil a Scantron form. And I sat in a huge room with like 50 other people with our desks uh, six feet apart or three feet apart. So we couldn't copy each other's pages and the room had to be absolutely silent. You couldn't leave to go on a break. And we had like six hours and that's how we did it. Of course, today it's totally different, right? Jason, today I go to, I, I do it on the computer and, and it's adaptive, right? So it's a, it's a much better experience now.
1: Yeah, so when I took my CISSP, it was back in 2010. I took it. I was actually in the Middle East at the time. So I was in, in the Kingdom of Bahrain. And we had about 50 of us taking it, like you similar to you. We had a big conference room that was taken over. Everybody was three feet apart. We had the the pen and the pencil and paper and the Stantron sheets. And the worst part about that is these days when you take it, you find out pretty much immediately. Yes, you passed. No, you didn't. Right. Back then, you didn't. Right. They had to take those scantrons and ship them off Mm -hmm. to the closest grading center, which for us was in the UK. And then, about two weeks later, you get an email. And all I remember is that if you got an email that had an attachment, it meant you failed because the attachment said, "Here's your score report and why you didn't and why you didn't pass." Right. Um, And then, if you didn't get an attachment, that meant you passed because they didn't give you your score. It was just if you got 700 or more, you passed, and we don't care what the score was. Mm -hmm. If you got a score. You got an attachment that said what you messed up and yeah. that you failed, and so I remember two weeks later I'm sitting there on my BlackBerry. Again, I'm dating myself here. But my <laughs> rings at eight o'clock on a Friday night, and I look at it, and you know there's there's that thing that says, "Oh look, I passed." I'm like, "Great, wonderful! I don't have to ever take that exam again because CISSP is a beast of an exam. I never want to take it again." <laughs> well, yeah,
0: well, good for you because you know uh, just a, just a few years earlier when I took it, what they would do is they would only grade the tests twice a year. So oh my no gosh. matter where in the cycle you took it, they would batch your scantrons and they would sit until the, the one of the two grading periods. And so I think I had to wait like three or four months to find out what my test results were. Oh. And it came in the mail on a piece of oh. paper.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm very glad that they've moved to this adaptive <laughs> testing where you can do it online and you can do it you know, in a Pearson VUE testing center and get your results right away. It's so much, so much
0: better. So uh, much
1: better. Anyway. Speaking of certifications, really, you know, the the reason I wanted to bring this up is if you're studying for a certification and most of the people in our audience are going to be taking some kind of certification, whether it's Security Plus, CISSP, uh, CEH, Pentest Plus, whatever it is, right? It's going to show up almost every single exam now is going to have a confidentiality question. I just redid my A-plus course for Udemy, and there's questions on security in A-plus now, right? Uh, and they talk about security in terms of confidentiality, integrity, and availability. So when you hear the word confidentiality, if you're taking an exam, I want you to remember a couple of keywords, right? Anytime you hear confidentiality, you should automatically be thinking the answer is something to do with encryption. Right. Mm-hmm. It may be AES, it may be TLS or SSL, it may be PKI, it might be RSA, it could be asymmetric or symmetric, it doesn't matter. All of that goes into this idea of having confidentiality. And so you know, if you think about confidentiality, the answer in your mind should be something to do with encryption. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I see a lot is anytime you see the words data at rest, data in motion, data in use, you should be thinking encryption and confidentiality. And anytime you're thinking about privacy and how would you achieve privacy, you should always be thinking about confidentiality because, again, you're going to be using things like encryption to give you that that protection. Things like VPNs and, and all of that stuff goes into this world of confidentiality. So on the exam, remember these key things uh, because they're going to be the things that will clue you into what the right answer is. For example, if you had a question that said, which of the following ensures confidentiality? Answer is A, AES, B, MD5, C, SHA-256, or D, uh, i don 't know m d right right, which of those is the right answer well it's a e s because that's the only encryption one. The other three are all hashing algorithms, and so those don't provide confidentiality instead they provide integrity, which we'll talk about next episode
0: right I was no, about to say good. don't get too far ahead of us yeah
1: not <laughs> not going to go into integrity, but that that's that's that that's next episode, so if you want to learn all about integrity that's what we're going to be talking about okay, so now that we've covered you know what is confidentiality, some keywords you should know, and some real world examples. Really what we want to do with the rest of our time here is kind of go through a little bit of mock interviews because most of our uh, our listeners are either looking for a job, trying to get a promotion at their job, trying to switch into the career field or something like that. And that means at some point they're going to get questions in an interview mm-hmm. asking them about confidentiality. But normally it's not going to be as simple as, Kip, what does confidentiality mean to you? Instead, Correct. you might get a question like, let's say, uh, Kip, what does it mean when there's that little green lock next to the URL in your browser when you go to yourcyberpath.com? And then you're going to have to give an answer that's going to be you know, one to three minutes long that explains what that means. So we're going right. to do that right now, and I'm going to put Kip on the spot. So Kip, <laughs> put on your, your interviewee hat. I'm your hiring manager. I'm okay. interviewing you for this job. We're in your technical interview, and I ask you, you know, Kip, want to be cybersecurity analyst? Tell me, what does it mean when there's that little green lock in the URL in your browser?
0: You know, uh, Jason, thanks for asking. Listen, the, uh, that little green lock is really important because that's all about encryption. And that little green lock says a lot of things about the connection that you just made to a web server that corresponds to the, the URL that you typed into the, the browser bar. And without getting into a lot of, like, you know, ones and zeros, I'm just, I would just like you to know that I'm aware that uh there's a key exchange there's a there's a cryptographic handshake between my browser and the web server and during that key exchange what's happening is is that they're agreeing on a number of things like uh what kind of algorithm can my browser handle like what's the most secure out algorithm can my browser handle how what's what key sizes can my browser handle because usually a web server can handle a lot of really high-end encryption, but not every and not every web browser can. so there's a bunch of protocols that are going on in there, and then eventually a key size and an algorithm is chosen, and uh you know and then and then we can start talking to each other uh, with a nice encrypted tunnel between us, and that will persist for as long as as we want to talk to each other and all that's happening in the background, it's all automatic. We don't have to worry about it, but sometimes we'll get an error message because something's not quite right, maybe the web server is using a self-signed certificate, which isn't considered to be as trustworthy as one that's signed by a certificate authority. Uh, and so we might get a weird error message. And then, you know, especially like with Firefox, there'll be an ominous warning message that says, mm-hmm. hey, this site isn't secure, are you sure you wanna do this? And, and you really should pay attention and, and see what's going on. But if you've ever looked inside of a, uh, of a digital certificate, it is a, it's, it's really, it could be very confusing if you don't know how to decode it. So I, I don't want to go to that level of detail, if that's OK.
1: <laughs> I, I think that's a good answer, right? And again, depending on the job you're applying for, they may want more technical details or mm-hmm. less. For example, if I'm hiring you to be a security engineer or, or a system administrator, and you're going to be configuring our web server To be able to give you that little lock, right? I may ask the question a little bit different to say, I want you to tell me those technical details, right? Mm -hmm. And in those cases, uh, you know, if I was answering that question, I wanted the more technical answer. I would say, well, first, when a user is going to yourcyberpath.com, it first checks what is the domain name and it goes to that CA. uh, It gets a copy of that digital certificate, which is the public key certificate. Uh, Using that public key certificate, I'm going to pick a random number, I'm going to encrypt it, and then I'm going to send it over to the server. The server then uses its private key to be able to decrypt that. And when it does that, we now have an, a shared secret that we have, this random number that I chose, mm-hmm. that only I know because I chose it, and the server can only know it because they have the private key, and only the private key can decrypt a message encrypted with a public key. And so now that we have that, we can then create a synchronous tunnel using symmetric key encryption, using that new random uh, code. And, and, and you know, I could go into all the different details that we just talked about, right? right? But again, the whole idea is you want to kind of practice an answer that gives you you know one to three minutes, because that's what the hiring manager is looking to hear. They want to hear really quickly that you know what you're talking about. Out, um, either on a technical side or the higher theory side, like Kip presented, and both those would be appropriate depending on the job
0: you're applying for. Yeah. So
1: yeah. I want to give you kind of an example like that. Uh, okay, Kip, I, I put you on the spot, your turn to put me on the spot.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, so you might also get a question like this. So Jason, how, how could you use encryption to securely erase the contents of a hard disk or an SSD that you don't want anymore? Let's say you're gonna dispose of that piece of hardware and you don't want any sensitive data left on it, how would you use encryption to deal with that situation?
1: Thank you for that question. That's a really great question, Kip, because most people think about encryption being used to create confidentiality of data, and they don't think about it as a data destruction technique. But you can use encryption to do what's known as a secure erase. With a secure erase, you're going to encrypt the hard drive, and then when you no longer need that hard drive, you can simply erase or zeroize that key that you use to decrypt the hard drive. Without that key, you're not going to be able to read anything on the hard drive. So all the data forensics in the world isn't going to help you because you'd still be able to recover the data even if you format the drive or wipe the drive. But that thing that you're recovering is still encrypted. And so without that key, you can't decrypt it and you can't read it. So the only way to be able to read that would be to either wait for computers to get much faster where you can then decrypt something using brute force on AES-256, which as the time of this recording or as the time of this interview doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can, um, y- you basically would have to try to guess the key to be able to unencrypt the drive. But right. otherwise, there's really no way to get the data. And so this is a really secure way to be able to uh, delete data. And especially for those of us working in a cloud environment, we always want to use encryption on the drive that we're using because these drives are actually just uh, virtual drives that are existing on a physical server somewhere in the cloud that I don't have access to. Right. So by using the encryption, whenever I erase that key, I now have protected all those cloud resources from anybody else seeing them when those drives are being reprovisioned for another company. Uh, and, and so that's kind of the way I would attack that type of a question
0: yeah, that's great. uh I want to uh also ask you about uh a little a little turn of phrase crypto shredding. Have you ever heard of that?
1: Yes, yeah, so uh crypto shredding is kind of the 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 off the cuff nomenclature that people use for this term of secure erase, right? Yeah. So crypto shredding is exactly that, right? Um, you, you are basically shredding or deleting or zeroizing that key. And so uh, in some of the environments I've worked in, in the DOD, we actually used a physical key. Um, mm-hmm. And that physical key would have to be plugged into the machine for it to be able to decrypt the drive and be able to read it. Um, if you destroy that key with a, a hammer or you know, burn it or an incinerator or whatever you do with it, that drive is now useless to you. Right. Um, And and so that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about crypto shredding is, is shredding the key, not the encryption itself. (laughs)
0: Correct. Correct. And it's much faster, right? Because to zeroize a one terabyte drive using traditional methods would take forever. It's so much easier and faster to just shred the key and get on with your life. Okay, cool. I just want to make sure people knew that little piece of jargon.
1: Yeah, definitely. That was a, definitely a good one. Uh, and then we'll, we'll do one more uh, interview question style thing here. Okay. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it back in your court here. So uh, Kip, uh, you know, Kip the interviewee, uh, I want you to tell me how you can protect data as it's being transmitted over the public internet. Uh, and I want right. you to give me a couple of different ways.
0: Sure. Well, it's going to depend on uh, a lot on the protocols that you have available and also on the systems on either end of the uh, of the data exchange. So, for example, uh, if you can use uh, HTTPS, uh, then or HTTP, then you can use transport layer security (TLS) to uh, to encrypt the the connection. That's one way to do it. Uh, if you have more like a site to site connection uh, between two networks, then you want to bulk encrypt everything. So, you might have a site to site VPN, a virtual private network. Um, or you might have an individual who wants to get remote access to a trusted network or an, or an enclave. They could use a VPN also, but that would be a client to a VPN concentrator type uh, connection, right? So not a bulk connection between two sites, but just between one node and, and a network. Um, yeah, so there are some examples. You could, even, you could even take a file. You could encrypt it using pretty good privacy or new uh, privacy guard, GPG, or PGP, and then you could take that encrypted file, you could attach it to an email, you could send the email in the clear, but the attachment's going to be encrypted. Or you could push that encrypted attachment over FTP, file transfer protocol, which is completely in the clear, but the file, because it's encrypted, would not be uh, understandable by anybody who might intercept it. So there are some ideas. One of those might work.
1: Yep, definitely. All of those are great uh, suggestions. And, you know, even when you mentioned FTP, my mind's thinking, well, FTP is not secure, which you said. And so you can have this encrypted file going over FTP, or you can actually encrypt the entire connection when you're using FTP by using yep. SFTP or FTPS. And, you know, that kind of brings up a good question, um, you know, that I'll, I'll just answer myself, which is what is the difference <laughs> between FTP, uh, FTPS, and SFTP? And I see a lot of people get confused with the SFTP and FTPS, uh, mm-hmm. because FTP we know is in the clear, everything being sent, including usernames and passwords, all the files that can all be grabbed off the wire because all sent in the clear. But when you're using FTPS or SFTP, you're using either FTP over an SSL or TLS connection, or with SFTP, you're using FTP tunneled over port 22, which is SSH, which is an encrypted uh, connection as well. And you can use SSH essentially almost as a VPN where you can create a connection and then tunnel yep. whatever you want over it as well. And so that's another way that you can do this data in motion protection. Yep. So keep all those things in mind as, as you're thinking about interview questions and, and the type of things you might be asked when it comes to confidentiality. Uh, Kip? <laughs>
0: there you go that's that's our uh, episode on confidentiality. I hope that that really clarified things for you and gave you some really uh specific real world examples of how confidentiality happens even outside of the digital sphere uh and then also uh thank you jason for uh you know helping us to explore some of the protocols you know s- uh uh t l s and s s h and that sort of thing. And you even gave us a little peek into public key private key symmetric encryption that sort of thing not meant to be a deep dive on that but uh yeah i hope this was helpful to everybody yeah
1: definitely and uh, if you enjoyed this episode definitely join us for the next episode the next episode we're going to move into the I, which is integrity and that's where we're going to dive a little bit deeper into things like digital signatures and hashing and all the things we can do to make sure our data hasn't been changed or modified Um, So remember, when we're talking about confidentiality, we're really focused on that privacy concern, making sure people who aren't authorized to see it can't see it. And mostly we do that with encryption. But that doesn't mean that that data is actually secure itself. We could modify that data and it would still be confidential but it doesn't necessarily have integrity anymore. So, right. so we'll focus on that in the next uh, episode of Your Cyberpath. So once again, I want to thank you all for listening to Your Cyberpath. Path. Uh, remember, you can always go to yourcyberpath.com to get the latest show notes for the episode, uh, as well as a transcript of everything we're saying inside of the episode. And in addition to that, I do want to point out that on the main page of Your Cyberpath you can click to join our mentor notes. The mentor notes are put out by Kip every time we have an episode. And this is going to be about 500 to 1,000 words. It gives you a really quick overview uh, of, a, of a certain topic inside of cybersecurity. It's a great way for you to stay up to date with what's going on in the world, what's happening with different uh, concepts and privacy issues and things like that. Um, and, and it's just a, it's a great short read, very digestible, very short, very to the point uh, to really keep you in the know of what's going on. And there's just so much great stuff that comes out in these mentor notes that Kip puts together that really will help you in your job interviews and your job hunt. So I highly recommend going to yourcyberpath.com, entering in your email and joining the mentor notes. And you'll get those direct emails from Kip every two weeks. Uh, that being said, uh, thanks again for joining us
0: and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of your Cyberpath. Don't miss an episode. Press the subscribe button now. If you would like to learn more about how to get your dream cybersecurity job, then be sure to visit yourcyberpath.com, where you can access the show notes, search the archive of our top tips and tricks, and discover some fantastic bonus content.